Welcome back to Seminary and Casual Podcast. My name is Eric Tamney. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Father Mike Schmitz. And in the first part of the interview, we just finished up talking about uh, how relationships are important for young people these days, particularly college students that Father Mike has interacted with at his Newman Center. Uh, and we were talking about the list of things that stack up against young people in the culture today that make it difficult to engage God and to have that encounter with God. So if you haven't listened to the first part, I encourage you to check it out. You can go to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com forward slash semcasualpodcast, or you can check out our blog page at semcasual.org, uh, and you can go to the podcast tab where we have uh, all of our content there. And this is just a reminder that as we uh, are attempting to rename our interview segment of the podcast, we would love your suggestions uh, and your feedback. So you can send us any any name or title suggestions that you have to semcasualpodcast at scs.edu. That's semcasualpodcast at scs.edu. So without further ado, let's proceed on with the second part of the interview with Father Mike Schmitz. So it's, it's funny, you mentioned relationships, and when we were talking about some of the biggest things standing in opposition to young people today, now I, I have suspicions, um, but I, be, because I haven't, you know, been, been largely out kind of doing ministry yet, um, it's only a suspicion. But I think that loneliness mm-hmm. is a huge, huge thing, which is just like stacking up against young people. It's this, it's this barrier, it's, it's painful, it's crippling, and yet it's, it feels like it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and we actually... Uh, began implementing the the idea of small groups in our seminary here probably probably five years ago uh, and it came with the advent of our spiritual year formation program um, and it actually came from Lexio so right. while the guys were on spiritual year once a week um, they would formally anyways you know that they may have have done it more, but they would formally engage in lexio, which is for for anyone who's listening who hasn't heard that term before. Uh, lexio is Latin; uh, it means reading. Um, so lexio divina is is divine reading, uh, and it basically is where you read scripture, uh, and you let the word of God kind of bloom in your heart, uh, and then you engage in discussion with. Uh, some close companions about kind of what that word is doing in your heart, where it's leading you. You know, it could be as simple as, well, when I was reading the story of the rich young man, this thought came to me. Or uh, when I read the story of the baptism and God the Father said, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Like, oh, I just was filled with this joy because I realized like that applied to me. Um, and so I think uh the guys on spiritual year here had such a profound encounter through these small groups, which were centered around Lexio, that they actually made their way back to main campus and have become a fairly regular, although voluntary, part of the formation which we experience here at St. Charles. Oh, that's great. Um, and so I was wondering if, if um, you know, you talked about small groups having such a huge impact on your Newman Center life and the life of young Catholics. Um, can can you talk about uh, kind of how you experienced whether or not they were lonely? What did this encounter look like? And how kind of how did their life change when they began encountering other people? Because I think in this technological age, it's just getting more and more difficult to uh, to engage uh, one another on a real, you know, intimate level. Right. Um, and I think, you know, people think intimacy is 
is uh, re- kind of relegated to um, sexual relationships. And I think we need to reclaim intimacy in, in familial and platonic relationships. I don't know if you can c- comment on that. Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think I have a lot of opinions on that as well. <laughs> um, I think that uh, when um, particularly – so the, the, the trend apparently with uh, iGen right now is there's less and less dating. There's less and less sex outside of marriage. There's less and less um, – uh, hanging out, hanging out with, spending time with each other, less um, teenage drinking a lot of times because they're just at home. And I'm friends with these people, but the way I'm communicating with them and relating with them is uh, via my device, via social media, via some, 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 somehow like this. And and that's those are my friends. And yet at the same time, that's a curated identity or it's an edited identity. Um, and so uh, when it comes to, I mean, even think about it, this. Is, this doesn't just affect young people. This affects all of us. I mean, how many? How annoying is it if you send someone a text and they call you back? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that is not the social contract we have right now. I texted you. I do not want to talk to you right now. Uh, and sometimes that is. Uh, and think about that. That's after maybe we've gone through years of having that uh, spontaneous immediate conversation where you don't get to think about, okay, how am I going to say this? And it just has to be there in, in person where it's unedited. It's, you know, um, but here's someone else who doesn't have that necessarily that experience on a day-to-day basis. And so, uh, it just, the isolation is, uh, is magnified. Now on our campuses, um, you have that magnified even more because I, did, I even think about like just how, how weird our culture is. And I don't just mean 20, 21st century America. I mean, the way we've set up uh, what it is to be an adult. So you spend 18 years with people, hopefully, God willing, that uh, know you and love you. And then the idea that when you become an adult is one of the marks of adulthood is leave where everyone knows you and loves you and go to a place where no one loves you, no one knows you, no one cares about you and like make make your way. Like in like that's so crazy. Like people, and even it's it's so it's so natural that that's what we just expect people to do. That if someone doesn't do that, if someone like lives in the town they grew up in, like what do we call those people? They're losers. <laughs> like like oh they yeah. didn't leave town whatever that kind of thing. Yeah, like, like what, why didn't they get a job? Failure like, to launch. Yeah. Exactly. Right. exactly. Like, as opposed to for thousands of years, no, this is how Humanity lives. Humanity lives in, you live uh, in amongst the same people that you grew up with. And now you have a responsibility in that community in that it's just like, it just boggles my mind that that's what we expect. And that's how we've arranged our culture. And it does not seem to be something that's healthy for us as human beings. It's not helpful for us as Catholics. Um, And I think it's one of the reasons why you have the rise of the nuns. You have the rise of those who have fallen away because when what happens if you stayed together, if you stayed in your hometown, um, then what do you get to do? You get to actually grow with your family. And at some point, like I don't feel like going to mass, you know. But yeah, but we have brunch afterwards. So <laughs> keep on coming. And so I, so I have three sisters who they all moved back home, not in with my parents, but like to my hometown. And uh, and I, I I'm part of the family group text uh, for the local family because I have brothers <laughs> who moved far uh, afield and. Um, they get together after every Sunday mass for brunch at someone's house. They get together every Sunday evening at someone's house for pizza. And they get together every Wednesday night, um, either before, usually before religious ed or if it's not school time, doesn't matter, um, for supper somewhere. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, my gosh, here's my parents who are grandparents who get to see their grandkids and their kids all the time. You have... I have an older sister who's single and doesn't have any kids who gets to like be a kind of a, a very, very present aunt to her nieces and nephews. And I've got these cousins who get 
to grow up with a larger family than just their siblings near them. And I think that Those is days. so... Um, so, so good because like they, you to they belong back, to each other. They have responsibilities to each are other, there. and they have rights that they actually get to claim from each other. And I think that is so important. So, sorry, your question is, how helpful are small groups? <laughs> small groups are a surrogate for family, and that's a both unfortunate but also a tragic reality. Um, and so, what one of the things they do is they make us get outside of ourselves, but they're only helpful insofar as there's actually real relationships, mm. and real relationships entail real responsibilities. Um, so I, you know, if I moved back to my hometown, I couldn't just like drop, drop in like I do now and they're like, Hey, Mike's home, da, da, da. Um, it's, it would be, Hey, you're here. We need you to mow the lawn and you need to pick up the kids and you need to go do this thing. Um, and cause real relationships entail real responsibilities. So if they're going to have a small group and they're going to be real relationships, it also means that we owe something to each other because we belong to each other. You know, and I, this is something which is, uh, very important to me. Um, I have as uh, kind of I've taken on as my patron saints, um, Saints Basil and Gregory, um, because Saints Basil and Gregory, um, they're no, they're they're noteworthy because they were best friends, mm-hmm. and they're, they're both doctors of the church. They're some of the some of the greatest writers the church has had. But even above and beyond that, um, they're they're famous because they went to extreme lengths to encourage each other to grow in virtue. Um, even to the point where they said, uh, writers about them um, said it was if they shared one soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've really been thinking about it during my time in seminary as, as I get closer to ordination and as I, I try to become, become a better person to grow in virtue. It strikes me that the Catholic faith was never meant to be lived in isolation right. and that, um, you know, like as Catholics, I think it's our duty and our responsibility um, to, to have – uh, a small group of people or, or one or two persons um, where we are we are so in this journey together we we hold them accountable we build them up we encourage them and I think that if you I think that if you're trying to live the Catholic life well and you don't have that other person with which you are kind of intimately sharing the details of your your faith and your journey I really think um, I think you're, you're you're going downstream. I think you're you're trying to swim upstream without a paddle, um, because like the, the the life of grace, the life of virtue, rather the life of virtue, um, it is like a river. Where if you're if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And I think we need others uh, in order to to assist with that. Well, not only uh, the river uh, being like we need to be poured into. When there's a real community, you have to you have to take care of people. Uh, I think when we live isolated lives, it's just, you just take care of yourself. Um, and that's no, there's no growth that's going to happen there. So not only do you have accountability from the people around you, like I said, you know, I struggle to get to mass, but I'm going to be there because that people I, um, are counting on me to be there. But also, um, it's something really human to be needed, uh, in some way. Like I have to, have to not only, uh, receive, I have to give or else, um, Dead Sea versus Sea of Galilee, that kind of right. that idea. So, yeah. uh, unfortunately, just as a heads yep, up, those our are the kinds of relationships website is down temporarily. We hope to have that up in the next. Yeah, that we hope to model. Yeah, in our future. Well, that's so good too because I mean, as you said, it's so. So here's a quick little, possibly made up stat. Um, <laughs> I uh, so I, I love talking a lo- to a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love uh, a lot about uh, Franciscan University. Um, some days I wish I had gone there. Um, but uh, we have a student who just transferred from Duluth to Franciscan. 
And in the process of his transferring, because he's just like, he was an engineer and uh, he was like, you know what? I just think the Lord's calling me to to do this, to dive deeply into studying scripture and studying theology. And and so I'm like, go, go for it. You know, he, so he's meeting up with Dr. Han because um, why not? Why not? So Dean's talking to Dr. Han and, um, and it, it, so Dr. Han said, well, what do you do, you know, in Duluth? And he's, well, I volunteer here. I do this at this, you know, he basically serves and perishes in this. And he said, Dr. Han was like shocked at this and was like so impressed by me. And he said, there's something like, there's the numbers that I don't know if these are accurate. He said something like there's 500 theology majors at Franciscan and only 50 of them volunteer at the local parish. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's like, what is going on? Like you're, you're, the whole idea is I want to study uh, scripture. I want to study theology so that I can serve, so that I can minister. But if I'm not doing ministry right now, um, I'm not pouring out. I'm not even trained, being trained. Cause I don't just, I think for the school thing, like seminary as well, I can't just be trained in the theology of it. I have to be trained in the pastoral, like I, my heart has to be changed. Right. So it's not just, um, I studied cause I'm going to be a priest. It's serving with people and serving people. That also is formation as, as well, as you know. So I just wanted to, not to bag on Francis. Like <laughs> Maybe the stat no. is wrong. That's fine. Um, in your own time in seminary formation, Father, what were the things that you would say would challenged you most uh, during those years of formation? But also, what were the greatest challenges you had when you were first newly ordained? That's, oh. that's something that a lot of guys who are here who are listening are, are very, yeah, they're, they're looking forward to the exciting life of, of priesthood, but they know that there are going to be challenges. Right. Uh, um, the first challenge that I had in seminary was... Uh, Myself, well, probably the biggest challenge of my entire life is myself. Um, <laughs> and uh, the biggest challenge of my first year or year and a half, I remember, of seminary was, um, I was like, okay, I'm here, and I'm going to do what I need to do. Um, I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to keep going to classes, and I'm going to keep um, doing what I want to do. Though it was, it was a lot of myself, just kind of saying, um, I remember, like, so I had a pre year of pre-theology, um, and... So I lived at the undergrad seminary, which is an easy way to kind of get lost or kind of be able to uh, get away with stuff. And uh, even though the, the the rector lived two doors down from me, um, people would be like, hey, Mike, do you know, we didn't see you at mass this morning. I was like, oh, no, I went to nativity instead. Like, yeah, but you have to go to mass in the seminary. <laughs> like, no one's told me that. <laughs> like, you didn't. You, you were in a holy hour this morning. Oh, I have a holy hour over at the other church. Yeah, but you have to be with us. And I was like, no one's told me that. <laughs> and there's this, this sense of like independence, maybe a little defiance and rebellion that I had to get over. Uh, and I'm grateful that they gave me some wiggle room or else I would have been, I'm just a jerk. And so, um, <laughs> then the next step was, uh, being willing to commit to the community, not only just get over myself and like show up when they tell me to show up, but then also, uh, like say, no, I'm invested in this community. So yes, I'll take a responsibility. You might, you asked me to be the person who hands out books on Tuesday morning prayer. Like, oh, that was, and no, no joke, that was a big step for me. Like, say, that means I have to be there every every Tuesday morning. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, let me pray about it. You know, but it was getting over my own self-interest and getting them over my, over my own, like, after I'm taken care of, then I'll help. And and that 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 is a kind of a thing that even in my family, we've talked about a lot, just kind of like, oh, wow, we do that a lot, don't we, as Schmitz's. We... Once I'm taken care of, then I'll, I'll be present to you 100% after I'm taken care of. And one of the things then seminary that was so helpful was, was growing in that way. That might have been the, one of the mo most important things was growing in that way. Another thing, um, another thing was I, we had a teaching parish. I don't know if you have teaching parishes here where basically uh, 
we were expected to be out in a parish at least 10 hours a week, more or less. And um, the parish I was at, it was, it was, it was great. It was a ways away, but I would go out there between 10 and 40 hours a week because I just like thought this is where I um, really am going to grow is where I'm going to. And so I'd be challenged because even like teaching ninth grade religious ed, like, oh, I'm studying theology. I know all these answers. And then have a ninth grader kind of stump you. I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, I have no idea. It was really fun to sit in class and think about these big thoughts. And like, I can tell them back to Father Dipperner about how da, da, da. But like this ninth grader, I cannot make myself understood. So it was super challenging. And it, and it did something. I might mention this tonight. But um, C.S. Lewis, he gave a talk to seminarians and youth ministers, I think, in the Anglican church. And one of the things he said, he said that he believed the, the final test before a man gets sent out, um, in or gets ordained and sent out, is he has to be given a, a point of doctrine and be able to explain it in such a way that the average dock worker could understand what he's talking about. And he said, um, because if you can't, if you can't translate that into a language that the people in the parish will understand, he's like, that's like having a missionary go to Burma and not be able to speak Burmese. Mm. And so that's been one of the things, like always, always working with those ninth graders and with all the people out in that parish was kept coming back to this, like, okay, how would I translate this? Like, how would I communicate this? Not just intellectually, like with the argument, but how would I approach the person? Because I had to approach people the whole time during seminary. And some people would say, like, well, you didn't read all, do all the reading because you're out in the parish a lot. So <laughs> that is true. Um, but uh, that is one thing that I thought was, was massively helpful because it just um, it helped me break out of myself more and more. Um, because it, I don't know if this is the case for people in formation. I know for myself, I was like, well, this is my formation because I'm doing my discernment. So I can be the priest that God wants me to be. Like, it's very me oriented yeah. and being out in the parish like we don't care. I mean at first like oh you're the new seminary that's great and then it's like okay uh, you're the seminary who's been here for a year and a half so what do you, what do you got buddy and uh, and yeah to be, the whole saying people don't care how much you know until they know much you care and all that yeah. kind of stuff mm -hmm. and so it really reoriented that so but that could be a dangerous sense of in pursuing a vocation you become more concerned with spiritual self-perfection yeah it and could. that's what you're called yeah. from I mean, I would think that's a temptation for those who are really striving yeah. to fulfill that call. Yeah, I think that there's a balance there too, right? Because there has to be that that sense of like, how am I, how am I growing, and how am I being formed? And then, um, but it's all the piece, right? The four pillars, pillars, what are they? dimensions, he, yeah. dimensions, human and pastoral, and the something else changes. <laughs> now, Father, we have uh, just a few minutes left uh, of of your time. Um, I'm wondering if we can do just a bit of a lightning round. Um, I've got. Uh, kind of two questions to throw at you here. Uh, the first is that obviously many of us um, want to engage in evangelization through social media, uh, but a lot of us are going to be really new at that once we get out into the parishes. Um, so what was the biggest obstacle you encounter um, once you kind of began forging down this path of social media evangelization, and how did you overcome it? Wow, yeah. Um, so I know uh, it's a big question for lightning round, but well, <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think it's important so, to answer. Ten seconds or less. I um, one of the things one of the things that I'll, I'll communicate tonight is that I did not uh, pursue it. Um, it was opened. I was invited, and I said yes. Um, and that is that is I I think for me at least maybe not for other people maybe other people could be able to handle um, personally pursuing something like this on their own, and that wouldn't be helpful for me. And it wouldn't be healthy for me. Uh, for me, what it was was. Um, I'm in the parish or in my ministry doing the ministry that the bishop had asked me to do. And so, for example, I, the podcast, I started the podcast in 2007 of homilies. 
and one of our students said, or a couple of students said, hey, would you record these, you know, and put them online? And I was like, no, that seems a little self-aggrandizing. And they said, no, 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 just press record and press stop and we'll do it. We'll do the rest of it. I'm like, ah, sure, fine. Um, and the good thing about that is multiple. One is I didn't, uh, I didn't like want this to happen. Mm-hmm. It was uh, someone else's idea. I didn't have to make it happen because someone else cleaned it up. Someone else posted it. Someone else maintained the, the podcast. And thirdly, um, it was an inherent part of my ministry already. So it wasn't like something extra. It was like, I have to preach on Sunday anyways. Might as well pre- hit record and hit stop and then hand it over. And that was, that's been the, <laughs> it's so uh, non-visionary, I know, and uh, not very inspiring. But just the idea for me has been, okay, I do what the Lord has invited me to do clearly because my pastor asked me, because my bishop asked me, because whatever. Um, people invited me to say yes. Just doing that and then... Um, being open to wherever that led. And so I, I think for, for me, that's preserved me from a lot of things. I can know myself and I know I would fall into that, uh, those traps of um, being overly preoccupied with like, how is it going and, and who's listening and are they liking it or are they not liking it? Like I can just do what I think needs to be done um, because this is what Bishop asked me to do and this is what I think my students need and then um, share it with whoever, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I kind of trailed off at the end there. No, no, I appreciate it. And then lastly, uh, which, which saints do you think inspire and inform you in your ministry most? Oh, gosh. So I really... Um, okay. So I always... Um, big St. John Chrysostom um, fan. And at the same time, it's, 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 that, again, it feels a little bit uh, like, what do you think, Father? Do you think of St. John Chrysostom? I'm like, no, I just... I think you know, it would be great. I ask for his intercession when I'm Ma- preaching. Magnanimity. You know, have a big heart right. when you're asking for things right. from God. Um, St. John Paul, obviously, uh, is big. Uh, recently, I have uh, I read a book by Father Don Calloway, A Total Consecration to St. Joseph. Oh, wow. And it like just rocked me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> I've always known St. Joseph is the, is the dude. But like reading this book, I'm like, he is not the dude. He's the dude. <laughs> I did not. Did you know that there's so you have uh, uh, Latria, right? Worship and balance mm-hmm. to God alone. You have uh, hyperdulia, like the the honor that is Mary's, and dulia belongs to the saints. You know, Saint Joseph has one. It's called protodulia, that wow. he's oh, the no first way. honored. Like after hyperdulia, wow. the most honored is protodulia, Joseph, and he's the only one who gets that. And <laughs> wow. it's like I didn't have any idea about this. Wow. His, you know, his name, Terror of Demons. Yes. Uh, I'm just yes. like, gosh. One of my favorite titles for him. <laughs> so good. And just reading more and more in Father Calloway's book. And one of the things I am looking at this spring is when, when can I do it? The total consecration to St. Joseph. Cause, um, but I really want to enter into it in a really intentional way. I might re-consecrate to Our Lady and then do jo- St. Joseph again. Or re-consecrate again to Our Lady and then <laughs> St. Joseph for the first time. Because um, yeah, there's something about, uh, yeah, so recently St. Joseph. That's awesome. Well, Father, Father Mike, thank you so much. This is let's been... keep talking, you guys. What, what else? What else? We... <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, thank you so much for coming out and spending the time with us. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people um, find your stuff? I'm often hiding, and <laughs> so uh, we have bold.catholic.org is the website for UMD uh, Newman, and it's bold.catholic. Not because I really like dogs. People ask me like, "Oh, is it like tenacious, like a bulldog?" Like, no, it's the mascot of the University of Minnesota Duluth. <laughs> They're the bulldogs. It's from bold.catholic.org, and so that's where we have a lot of resources when it comes to, um, well, it comes when it comes to resources, and then we also have the iTunes podcast um, that is on Spotify and Podbean and all those things, and then lastly is. Um, 
Essential Presents, where I think they have uh, maybe four videos come out every week. Uh, mine comes out on Wednesdays. And uh, yeah, that's where. And Gina, where can people find uh, all the news and podcasts for right Cat? Catholic Philly. CatholicPhilly.com. Our name is our address. That sounds like a furniture store. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> and, wow. uh, and, and I'm Eric Tamney, and uh, I'm here with Matthew Kuna, and we're from semcasual.org. You can find our blog posts written by seminarians and our podcasts hosted by me and others as well. So I want to thank you so much for listening in. Uh, email us at semcasualpodcast.com at scs.edu for any future show ideas or for feedback. Let us know you love what's going on, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, God bless.